What do data security and epidemiology have in common? I'm Marian Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Lawler, a former public health researcher at the Department of Veterans Affairs and at Harvard Medical School. She's CEO and co-founder of Conjure, a provider of ID and access management technology. Elizabeth will be discussing the commonalities between security and epidemiology and how containing an outbreak of disease is similar to breach prevention and response. So now, Elizabeth, your background is in epidemiology. For starters, please tell our listeners very briefly about the kind of research work you did at the VA, some of the research you did at Harvard Medical School, and what this all has in common with your current role as co-founder of Conjure. So, Marianne, I was a public health researcher while at the Department of Veterans Affairs Health, VA Healthcare Organization, and, and I was the deputy director of a clinical trials and observational epidemiology research center. My particular area of expertise was actually using big data to identify health issues using large electronic medical records data sets and things like that. So IT systems were essentially my laboratory, and data was my experiment. And so during my tenure at the VA, I became intimately familiar with the inner workings of IT systems that we were using to store, maintain, and maintain the health data for our veterans. And while I was there, the VA had a notable breach in 2006 with the loss of, of laptop with, with many millions of records of social security numbers for our veterans. And so that really piqued my interest in how the practice of securing data security amongst people who were working in IT was both working and failing, and it had very similar components and, and features to epidemiology. And when you're looking at whether or not it's an outbreak of a disease from a virus or something as complex as heart disease, there are certain risk factors that are behavioral that have to do with how people behave and how people look to secure data or how, in the case of data, uh, cybersecurity and data security. And then part of it is inherent to the person, right? Like you might have a genetic predisposition for it. So the system was simply built wrong. And so I started seeing these connections and how you could frame out certain types of cybersecurity problems from a public health lens. And that's been an area of interest for me from a practical perspective Privileged user management was obviously one of the biggest risk factors I could see working there when it came to putting large amounts of, of data at risk. And that prompted me to go to start found a company that helps to solve some of those kinds of issues from a, both a technological but also a behavioral perspective. So, Elizabeth, with that said, what can info security leaders learn from the best practices of epidemiologists that you think could help improve their cybersecurity and breach prevention and detection? Well, what's interesting is that you know cyber researchers and cybersecurity professionals have already taken on a lot of the language of epidemiology when we talk about viruses and antiviruses, for example, and trying to prevent breaches as outbreaks. But what's going on now is that the systems that we that we're working in have become more complex and the risk factors more multifactorial. So although we tend to liken epidemiology with viral outbreaks like Ebola or Zika, there are actually many subdomains within it which have much more complicated methods of data analytics, looking at things like factor analysis and behavior analysis, etc., to identify 
clusters of activities for which you can get a lot of bang for your buck if you can modify behaviors. And that's really where a lot of the practice of, of cybersecurity and information security comes in, right? Which, if you think about it, is, you know, whether it's educating users or employees on, how, on better password management or, you know, how to connect safely to public Wi-Fi systems, there are a lot of things that you have to do in, from an education perspective to prevent the bad outcomes, much like public health does. Elizabeth, your organization provides ID and access management technology. What are the biggest challenges that you see organizations in the healthcare sector and other industries dealing with right now when it comes to ID and access management that could be playing a role in some of the big cyber attacks and breaches we've been seeing in the last year or two? One of the um, early theses for Conjure was that code was the new privileged user in cloud and IT systems. And what that led us down the path toward was that In order to standardize and make consistency across increasingly heterogeneous systems with a multiplicity of different types of privileged access mechanisms that you have to control, the best way, the fastest way in order to be able to deploy and ensure consistency is by using things like automation and code itself to manage a lot of these systems. And so obviously what we believe is that through using the principles of DevOps and continuous delivery and automation technology, that you can deliver continuous improvement to healthcare cybersecurity, to medical device cybersecurity, to, you know, any kind of, of complex IT environment. It's much like the sort of incremental benefits that we get for, through public health, which is that we mandate certain basic standards for inoculation and for fluoridation of water, and there should be some basic automated standards so that people themselves don't have to maintain that. And you see that now. You see that with a lot of different technologies coming out for end user management. I think systems management represented the big area, untouched area, whereby automation could really make a difference in cybersecurity and information security. So when it comes to privileged access management, in privileged access, we see a lot of cybersecurity breaches that you know involve somebody's stolen credentials. What are some of the weak spots that you see in terms of the practices with privileged access management, and what kind of mistakes do you see organizations making that could be corrected on their own and also perhaps with some technology? We often think about privileged access management as a people-based process, and really there are many other types of tools and technologies at work that are acting as a strong uh, system administrator but have not got the kind of governance and access control over them. So if you think about what's happening now as systems mature, and especially with the movement to cloud and IT automation and DevOps and much greater spans of touch points to internal IT systems, a lot of the roles and responsibilities of privileged users have been handed off to code, scripts, things like that, which are often not well secured and not well maintained and certainly not always well, you know, continuously delivered in terms of improvement. And so the extent to which you kind of don't do a lot of do-it-yourself, try to come up with some use of common platforms and technologies in order to ensure consistency for credential management, for, you know, certificate rotation, for fine-grained access control over things like that are super powerful system account users like configuration management, for example. Configuration management tools have the ability to install and reboot 
servers at the speed of light, they have access to very powerful credentials that allow connectivity to sensitive databases. Those are very powerful tools, but there needs to be a check and balance system on the other side of that that says, what is this tool allowed to do and under whose authority and how can we better control or minimize potential bad actors from exploiting that? Now, in the healthcare sector, we've been hearing a lot about the cybersecurity risks of medical devices. And what you often hear is that when it comes to the use of medical devices, organizations have often used the default password. Some of these devices are too easily accessed or used by people in their workforce. But at the same time, again, you keep hearing more and more about some of the vulnerabilities of these devices that make them vulnerable to cyber attack. Any thoughts on perhaps privilege access management or better access and ID management control when it comes to medical devices that could help with some of the threats that we're hearing about with medical devices? Certainly. I mean, I think this gets again to the issue of scale. Where the touch points between physical human world and the technology world were limited and Now they're becoming much more pervasive. So whether it's a connected heart monitor that's sitting at the bedside or it's a connected insulin pump that's actually helping you to monitor and regulate your diabetes, both of those things are very important for maintaining and advancing the health of people. At the same time, it represents a giant cybersecurity threat landscape. And the motivations for individuals who are actually maliciously intervening in those systems are becoming um, less consistent and there are more different kinds of motivators for people to muck with those systems, not just ransomware, but other reasons as well. Trying to think about that through a causal risk model is very interesting. From my perspective, to IT administrators and my observations in the health and the healthcare sector is that, sector is that IT administrators are simply overwhelmed by the scale and relying on people who maybe aren't trained cybersecurity professionals to maintain the kind of cybersecurity controls that the organization would want is not reasonable. So again, this is an opportunity for tools, automation, and essentially robot security system administrators to, to do the work to help ensure the minimum levels of safety for patients. One other challenge I often hear about from healthcare organizations when it comes to ID and access management and authentication is that there's often a, a real demand by the clinicians to be able to access information as quickly as they can. You know, they don't want to be burdened by any difficult ways of getting into the data that they need at the time that they need it. And then also, Clinicians often get shifted around to different floors, different departments, giving them access to some patients' data at another facility. They shouldn't really have access to patients' data that they're no longer caring for. And all these different kind of challenges come into play often as an excuse from healthcare organizations about why they don't use more robust sorts of authentication and ID and access management. Any thoughts on how the industry might be able to address some of these challenges and yet make it easy for the clinicians to do what they need to do? It's an interesting observation for me about the cybersecurity community in general, which is that, to your point, there's a notion of perfect security, which has many encumbrances. And then there's a notion of lack security, which has which allows maybe more user ability to get their job done. But I honestly think that that's, it's just simply incumbent upon the cybersecurity community and particularly companies like mine, which is produces a product, to think through the desired experiences of the end users to a greater degree. Asking people to remember a multiplicity of passwords is folly. 
right? So what we believe at Conjure is we use the concept of experience-driven design so that we center any product development from a cybersecurity perspective, knowing what the best practices that we want to achieve in the end, whether it's lease privilege or separation of duties or compliance-related location of credentials, etc., we start with the end user in mind and design back from there. Because if you don't, then you end up with essentially degradation of the security posture over time and sharing of passwords, logging credentials, et cetera, et cetera. And finally, Elizabeth, looking ahead, any trends that we should be watching when it comes to ID and access management and privileged access technologies? I think it's very concerning the sort of rise of the notion of the rise of machine learning algorithms, which have infinite patients as advanced persistent threats looking to potentially target healthcare systems, whereby the physical impact of cybersecurity breaches could be very real. And so we obviously need to work harder as a cybersecurity community to make tools, describe best practices, and help organizations, you know, particularly healthcare providers, to defend against, you know, threats which aren't necessarily things that they completely understand. Right now there's a lot of, there's few practitioners and a large market demand but the extent to which we can help out as a community is important. And I think that there's a role for government as well to think about stepping up in, in terms, much like they did in the era of the early 1900s and the development of the U.S. Public Health Service, to step up and provide more community support to the community for things that could end up being critical. Thank you, Elizabeth. I've been speaking to Elizabeth Lawler. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.